Hey, yo, what's up? It's MC Chris. You're listening to the Dead TV Podcast. Who's the hero, huh? Yeah. You're the hero, man. Pat yourself on the back. I have a present for you. For the next fugitive. So I have to do this forever? Well, I mean, technically not forever. You're done when you die, right? Huh? (laughs) You're such a dick. Yes, I know. Reaper. Series premiere Tuesday, September 25th on The CW. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Dead TV Podcast, dedicated to all the canceled television shows in the sci-fi, fantasy, and horror genre. I'm your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And tonight we are talking about two more episodes of Reaper, episodes six and seven of the canceled CW late 2000 odds uh, television series. And for anyone who follows us on Facebook, I thought it was very interesting that out of the blue, my roommate pointed it out to me, and I was like, who's the company? He's like, I've never heard of this company before, but a canceled TV series that if we ever got around to doing, it would be kind of interesting. Uh, RoboCop, the series, is coming out on DVD and Blu-ray, and it just feels very strange that that's just an out of the blue drop on DVD and Blu-ray canceled show that only got one season that's coming out. You know, at a time where DVDs and Blu-ray are not the big uh, ability to watch films anymore, that's getting a DVD and Blu-ray release. It's very strange. I don't know. I never watched it when it was on. It came out after the third movie came out, so it kind of follows that very PG-13, more family-friendly RoboCop. Okay. Again, it got one season. It has its moments. It seems to retcon the second and third film, so it only follows the first one. RoboCop's like coming out of storage. There was supposed to be a movie in theaters right around this time of a new RoboCop that was supposed to follow this, the first movie. Kind of like they've done with like Halloween and other films that are like, oh, we're retconning all the other films out, and it takes place after the original. RoboCop could be on the, the bucket list to cover on this podcast one day, but we've got other stuff to talk about before we ever got to ro- get to RoboCop. Um, yeah, we still have a lot with Reaper. Like we have a lot to Reaper, and then the next show that we've talked about wanting to do, but it, it's just, uh, it, it's it's it looks like it could be a fun show, and it's just funny it's getting a release now. Did you know, by the way, that the first season of Reaper is insanely hard to find on disc? Like, on disc? Yeah, really? yeah. The second season's a lot easier to find. The first season is not as easy to find. The first season goes for like 50 to $60, I've seen. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot for a DVD box set for a you know old canceled CW show. But if they're not remanufacturing it anymore and it's just on ABC's site, then what's the point? I have to admit, I've really been enjoying the show, so I think that it's perhaps a purchase well worth it. Right, and we got our uh, episode now here, Leon. Leon, season one, episode six, originally aired October thirtieth, two thousand seven. Sam discovers that demons don't work on Halloween. Unfortunately, the depressed devil decides to make Sam's assignment even harder to cheer himself up. Sam and Saw capture one soul, 
that of Leon Chowgosh, an escapee who assassinated President William McKinley back in 1901. But before Sam can return him, Leon tries to convince them that he's changed. The devil then sends Sam to recapture a second soul, a serial killer who plans on starting a new murder spree. This episode stars Patton Oswalt. Yes, from a thousand and one different things that he has been doing and still working today. He's playing Matthew the Raven in the upcoming Sandman TV series on Netflix, which has not been posted yet to Netflix, and so hopefully it will be. But he's been, uh, I think most people will probably know him as the voice of the narrator on the Goldbergs for the last eight years. Thousands of voiceover work stuff, played himself, played versions of himself. Currently the voice of MODOK on the MODOK Marvel show. He's on she- he was on S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. And uh, for anyone who's watched the Eternals movie, the post credit scene of the Eternals, he is Pip the Troll, one of the companions of Adam Warlock that would help defeat Thanos in the comic books. He's such a great stand-up comedian, too. I absolutely love him. Yes. I think he is definitely known more for his voiceover work than sometimes his in-appearance, like physical work. But it might I, be I a toss-up. He's done a lot. Yeah, done a tremendous amount. So In the movie Ratatouille, he was the starring character as Remy the Rat. He recently had a loss, too. His wife died, unfortunately. Yeah, that was so sad. And the whole industry came out in support of him, showing like how much of a love they have for this, this actor. Who's, he's not a leading man. He's not Thor. But you know what I mean? He's gotten his, uh, his definitely his way with his comedy over the years. Oh, amazing. Yeah. The other... I guess she's like a big actress because she's been in so many things. The therapist of Leon, played by Jillian Barber, she is in so much stuff. The Man in High Castle, she was Alice Adler, which I absolutely adored. She was on Supernatural for several episodes and and she so many a more lot things. Of doctors and therapists. Yes, she's got that doctor face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stargate, <laughs> uh, you know, L.A. Law, Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century. She's been in so much stuff, a lot of geeky stuff. Sabrina, the animated series, Sabrina, the Teenage Witch. So she's definitely gotten uh, her credits in the in the in the realm of uh, sci-fi, fantasy, and horror over the over the many 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 years. So, Leon is actually a real guy. This person is responsible for the death of one of the four presidents of the United States of America that have been assassinated, Garfield, Kennedy, Lincoln being the other three. You said that the picture of the guy who assassinated the president actually does kind of look like Patton Oswalt? I mean, there is similarities. Leon Frank Chalgosh, there's a picture of him on Wikipedia, and he does kind of have the very kind of short, squat look to his face that I think Patton Oswalt actually played off. Now, Leon, the person, was an anarchist, and that was the majority of like his personality and why he went to assassinate the president. So that part isn't really played up in the show. The show really plays up the more modern take of, like, well, he's trying to be a better person. He understands what he did was wrong, and... He's trying to, you know, overcome all of these things. So it, it's not quite the Leon Frank Chalgosh of the 1901s. Before we even get to Leon and the entire American history behind what he did and who the president was, we open up with another piece of Americana, the Hula Girl, who has been wiped out of popular culture due to cultural appropriation, apparently, considered to be offensive as of 2018. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I mean, the, the tiki aesthetic is really more of an Americanized version of the Hawaiian islands and island culture and the tribal culture. So it's very Americanized. It's very commercial and corporate. So I understand why the little hula girls are more distasteful today. Correct. You can still buy them, though. There's the internet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to open up a bar and have hula girls, whatever. I'm not going to come out against you. I mean, it's a sexy look. It's a girl in a, in a bikini top dancing with a hula, you know, little skirt. It's, I'm not. <laughs> I particularly like the tiki aesthetic, but uh, I do understand <clears throat> it's culturally intensive. This is also the first time we open up with the episode with the guys in the middle of a case, at the end of a case, not at the beginning of one. But it's obviously to set up Leon Patton Oswalt's character to be, you know, a character through the entire thing. Yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting, too, because th they go to find him in his place. And it's like you're jumping into the middle of a ghost-busting scenario. I also think that they stole the plot line of the episode from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And the reason I say that is... In season two, Giles mentions to Buffy, he corrects her because she thinks that Halloween will be the hoppingest night of the year for demons and monsters, when in fact it's actually the opposite. Demons and monsters take Halloween off. And that has to do roll into the lore of Halloween, and I've done ton, tons of podcasts and conversations about the lore of Halloween, the, the spirits rising, all that stuff. And it's the same way here. The demons of hell take the night off, and the devil's left with like the mediocre backup dancers. <laughs> Because Gladys isn't there to, re to receive the uh, the vessel, and they have to be stuck with Leon for the whole episode. Hence why we got Pat Oswalt in the entire episode doing a voiceover for a snow globe. Yeah, it's a monkey snow globe, too. The, There's nothing by Leon's life that I could determine why the snow globe would be a monkey, other than Pat Oswalt's a funny guy, and a monkey is funny? I don't know. So this is our Halloween episode, too, by the way, because the air date is October 30th. And oh, yeah. I remember this coming out around Halloween. Also, the time of the episode is 2007, so the third... I believe they came out back-to-back. -back. The second and third Pirates of the Caribbean movie will have already come out, by the way. Because they filmed the second and third one, I think, back-to-back. -back. Okay. And so that's why Ted is dressed like Jack Sparrow. Ah, okay. All right. A nod there. Yeah. Okay. I almost didn't even recognize Ted. <laughs> I just saw him as Jack Sparrow. I was just like, who's Jack Sparrow? Oh, it's Ted. Because he looks good in the costume, and then you hear the voice, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's Ted. Andy cannot be friends anymore because of the bullshit that Sam pulled in the previous episode, accusing her date of getting it on with twins and when, in fact, they were his twin sisters. Yeah, yeah. She's justified. She's justified in being angry. Sam was being an idiot. Trusted the devil. And, of course, you're not supposed to do that. It's also funny the devil smokes. Of course, because the devil smokes. <laughs> of course. And I do love the devil, going back to what I was saying about Halloween. He likes the old ways of the fire and the brimstone and the human sacrifice. Of course he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's upset that he's basically a party gag now. The fact that Sock takes the soul vessel to Trivia Night just it shows the ridiculousness of it all. And he wants to bond with the vessel like Ben wanted to bond with the dove, the bird, the magic dove, bird. Yeah. What, what was the name of the magic bird from the previous episode? Oh, uh, Winston. Winston, yeah. So it's the same thing. It's like, okay, so what's next? Is Andy going to bond with a vessel? Is Sam going to fall in love with the demon that he's supposed to capture? But she killed her husband because he was abusive and that's why she's in hell. You know, that, that's where I see this going. Everyone's going to have their moment to bond with the vessel and the soul that's supposed 
supposed to be where they're supposed to be. You know what I mean? You know, things aren't as black and white as Christianity tries to make them out to be. You know, sometimes you can be good while doing a bad thing. Right, and, and we get into a little Sock bit of Christianity kind of... in the next episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sock really appreciates that Leon's funny, and he's going through a lot of his past trauma, and really relates to him in a lot of ways, talking about his own mother issues, because he didn't want to stop breastfeeding, and he was forced to stop breastfeeding, and that was particularly traumatic for him. Leon says to Sam, tell me about your childhood. My parents sold my soul to the devil. Oh, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. On the DVD for the box set that these episodes are on, the meat thermometer is on the disc. So that is the other vessel capturing thing. <laughs> because the second soul is the butcher of Ballard, who goes by the name Barney Kirkwood when he was in life. And I guess hell turned him into a hellhound because he used to feed his victims to his dog. Yeah, hellhounds. Something that doesn't ever seem to be represented as any kind of like creature that they want to do because probably CGI effects are costly. If you remember on the television series Supernatural, we almost never see the hellhounds. It's always invisible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and in this episode, it's very... Very, very dark. Like, there is so much darkness in that scene, it's very difficult to even make out the wolf shape. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. So the meat thermometer that they're using as the vessel is a long meat thermometer. Now, this type of meat thermometer you'd put in, like, uh, meat storage. You, it's not one that you would actually cook with because it's meant for a huge cuts, like huge sides of beef. You know what the worst part of this episode is? Is the devil's bureaucracy bullshit about why he can't just take the fucking soul himself. He's the devil. He goes back to hell. Where else does he go? It's like, oh, take the fucking soul. There's a lot of bureaucracy. Oh, it's such bullshit. He can just take Leon. Hell, hell is a bureaucracy. Oh, it's know. such shit. Hell is a bureaucracy. Oh, it's such bullshit. I think. Oh God, that was the that was the thing that really pissed me off. I was like, take the fucking soul. <laughs> <laughs> Devil's a piece of shit. Let me say. Let me just. I mean, yes. By the way, he does have some feelings. Like you see him being depressed in this episode. Uh, that hurts my feelings, Sam. That hurts my feelings, Sam. Oh, shut up with your feelings. I do love, <laughs> by the way, that Sam will call the devil the devil. He won't call him devil to his face. Like he won't say that's his name, like his name. You know what I mean? Like I say, Mr. Zeneca. So, but Sock will refer to the devil of other names. I've heard Lucifer. I've heard Bazebubub. Beelzebub. Thank you, yeah. So it's it's just funny. He doesn't have a name for the devil to call him. But the devil will say Sam all the time. Yeah. Interesting. The devil waits outside Sam's shower for him. It's just, you know, inappropriate. And come on, dude. Let, let, personal space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He surprised him right outside the shower because Sam was trying to get in contact with him earlier by going to the DMV, a closed DMV, to try to turn in the soul, and no one's going to take it from him. Who's the hooker that, that Leon picks up? I did not catch her name, and I'm trying to find a hooker in the... Oh, is that Cinnamon? That's Cinnamon. Carolina Turek. Okay, so she does have a name. Bit part actor. I just kind of a lot of space between her IMDb. She was in a deleted scene in The Lost Boys, The Tribe. Did you ever see that? That was one of the terrible sequels to the no. original Lost Boys. Don't ever watch that movie. No. <laughs> and no, she was she, a, she did some stunts on White Chicks and Supernatural. A lot of Supernatural carryover. A lot of CW. You know, stick around, get work on other shows, kind of thing. As we will see in of the course. next episode. The CW way. The CW way. Yeah, I guess live in Vancouver and pick up a lot of work. Kind of like live in Georgia, pick up a lot of work on Marvel shows and other things that are filmed in Georgia. Yeah. Of course, Leon betrays the guys. Eventually, Andy forgives Sam. Of course, the devil plays golf. I don't know how far you could drive a pumpkin with a driver. 
Because he's like in the parking lot with the driver hitting pop. He's, he's the devil. He's supernaturally strong. I guess so. It just I don't think Ray Wise is that strong. No, <laughs> no. I, I don't think I could drive a pumpkin past like maybe three feet. Well, maybe a tiny pumpkin, right? The little ones, the little t- little itty bitty ones, like the size of your cell phone. Those, yeah, but the ones that he's actually driving are are more like the size of a softball. We hear next to Argyle. From Scissors for Lefty. And I could be next to our guy. We are off the tracks. Trust is necessity. It's really pathetic how much Sock thinks that the soul was going to help him. A bit naive. He he was optimistic. <laughs> I just saw right from the beginning this being a really bad idea. Especially when I went to research who this guy was and what he did in real life. <laughs> yeah. I think at one point we get Jack the Ripper. I'm not 100% certain. It's been a few years since I've watched the show since its original airing broadcast, so I do believe we do get other real-life people, too. Oh, good. Yeah. I think Jack the Ripper's one, but I might be wrong. But we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, this is a real-life person, a very obscure, deep-cut person, too. Because you think about presidential assassinations, you think of Lincoln, you think of Kennedy. You don't really think of the other two. And then you think of the near misses, which were Carter and Reagan. Or, Or you should say near hit. Near hits, yeah. They, near they missed. completion. They, they were shot but not killed. Correct. The world would be very different, let's just say. That would be the truth. Hmm. So the devil says that betrayal is a defining trait of humanity and that Sam's disgust is basically just him realizing the weakness of your species. This episode is one where his friends seem to betray him, but I don't know. It, it, it's It's not an actual betrayal. It's just... Sock being sock. Yeah, not so much betrayal, but just not listening to your friend when he tells you what to do, not to hang out with the vessel, you know, the soul and the vessel and and pal around with it and try and be friends. Yeah. Again, I think one of these souls, one of the guys eventually tries to get into a relationship with. I do remember that. It's going to become a thing later on, so we'll we'll have to (laughs) wait and see. That's all the notes I have for this episode. Leon. Well, we do have to mention that this episode, Andy and Sam make up. They're friends again by the end of the episode. That was inevitable. <laughs> uh, She's the no. only female character on the show besides mom who pops in once in a while. <laughs> uh, of course, but I did enjoy that turn. Sam apologized. Andy let things go. And then they ended up being fast friends again. We'll see how well that gets tested in the next episode after this break. And we'll be back for the second episode, Love, Bullets, and Blacktop, here on the Dead TV Podcast. I was a cop. My wife was raped. I caught the guy who did it, and I killed him. Two months later, I died. I went to hell. 113 of the most vile creatures escaped. They think they'll beat the devil. Nobody beats me. So how am I supposed to send them back? The eyes. Windows to the soul. Destroy the eyes and the damned. Get a one-way ticket back home to hell. But it's not hell you should be scared of. It's losing your second chance of life on Earth. Time to give the devil its due. It's Brimstone. Season 1, Episode 1, Pilot. Originally aired October 23, 1998. My name is Ezekiel Stone, the devil's bounty hunter. Let me tell you about my first day back on Earth. 
I woke up on a subway. Not sure how I got there, mind you. The air felt dirty and familiar. Maybe I spent too many years in hell, but people seem strange. Even baseball changed in the 15 years I've been gone. You know they're doing interleague plays now? I knew why I was back in New York. A job. Walking into that church was getting back to something long forgotten. It could have been the confessional, but it seemed like a mockery of God. Father Salinas. His time was up. I was there to collect his soul and send it back to hell. He ran. Of course he ran. He did. Unfortunately, the cops arrived before I could handle the situation. They put me in handcuffs, and he melted his way out. Just my luck. When you need them, they're never there. And when you don't, they're on your back. Detective William Kane. I felt a little sorry for throwing him off of me like a sack of potatoes, but he gave me all the info I needed. Two kids were missing. I still had time. I checked into a hotel that had more of its fair share of no-questions-asked patrons, if you know what I mean. That's when I noticed the tattoos all over my body and heard his voice. The devil had paid me a visit to set the game in motion and dangle a second chance at life like a carrot on a stick. Somehow, this seemed so familiar, like I'd faced him before. That snappy wit, even the suit, slapped the back of my skull like a sense of deja vu. I was now his bounty hunter. Or have I always been this bounty hunter? Somehow, he didn't instill fear in me. Just annoyance. And then he pushed me off the building. What an asshole. Father Salinas, like the predator he is, went out to work capturing a new altar boy, melting the face off of some poor schlub in the wrong place. I decided to go back to the church to gather clues. The blind priest, Father Horn, took me around. I found some old subway tokens. Like me, he saw the bright flash of a gun firing in his face. He woke up blind, I woke up, well, somewhere else. Then, out of nowhere, that Detective Kane stepped in. Must have been smarter than I took him for. I jumped out of the stained glass window, and he gave chase. The bastard didn't give up. Nearly got himself killed trying to jump rooftop to rooftop, following me. He wanted the truth, so I told him. An escaped soul from 1896, Edward Salinas, a priest, killed 16 kids in Italy and 8 in New York, killing them in sets of four to recreate the four living creatures from the Revelations, chapter 4, verse 6. Just like I thought, he didn't believe me. So I jumped off a building and couldn't be shot. If that's not proof of otherworldliness, I don't know what else is. During my search for subway history to find Father Salinas' hideout, I got hit on by the historian. It felt odd. It's been so long since someone was interested in me. I just told her that I was married. Honestly, it was easier than telling her I was dead. And truly, in my heart, I am still married. See, in my old house, a wash of memories came back. How she made that house. A house. A home. The smell of her hair, fresh from the shower. A life I left behind 15 years ago. Can I ever truly go back? While Detective Kane hunted through his records, I was hunting Father Salinas before he could complete his ritual in the abandoned subway tunnel. It was easy enough to set them free. I gave them the instruction for them to seek out my persistent friend, Detective Kane. 
good boys there. They ID'd the pub, and Kane came down into the underground. Sad to say his partner didn't make it topside again. Rest in peace. Hopefully he got a one-way ticket to the penthouse to have dinner with Yahweh. He seemed like a good cop. We finally bagged the predatory priest while he was monologuing. You can always count on a villain to get knocked down and then rise again with some holy mission Christ on a cracker bullshit. Two bullets in the eyes sent his damned soul to hell. His name rips itself from my flesh. Detective Kane earned himself some therapy after that. Just before I left, he told me that my wife is in California, so that's where I went next. I really did enjoy this episode. It had enough exposition for me to understand what was going on and where it was going, plus planted the seeds for things to go well in the future. This show is dark and brooding. It might have been a success today versus back then, simply because I think the tone was a little off at the time. If I saw this episode alone, I would actually have tuned in next week for the next episode. And I will still maintain a connection between Reaper and Brimstone in these little passages. So I hope you enjoy. The Bible verse that he's talking about, Revelations chapter 7 verse 6, that is, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had the face of a man, and the fourth beast was a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is ever to come. This is a verse basically describing a worshiping of God in heaven. So the children he was going to send there to be part of God's personal choir. Playing Ezekiel Stone is Peter Horton. Peter Horton was actually married to Michelle Pfeiffer for a little bit. Pretty interesting. Detective Ezekiel Stone. His name actually comes from the Bible, Ezekiel 36:27, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. His career actually goes back to the days of Dallas, 1979. Right after Brimstone, he starred on the Gina Davis show as Max Ryan. He's done a lot of short roles on television shows, including CSI New York in 2012, but his most recent credits are as a producer and director on the new Amsterdam TV series. The charismatic devil of our series is John Glover. You might remember him as the schmarmy executive Daniel Clamp in Gremlins 2, The New Batch. I just loved him in the movie Scrooged. That was hilarious. He seems to play schmarmy executives a lot. Hmm. He's been nominated for several Emmys, including for Frasier, L.A. Law, and Crime and Punishment. Most recently, he was on the show Lucifer and Fear the Walking Dead as the character Teddy Maddox. In the role of Detective Kane is Curry Graham who unfortunately is only in this one episode. He's been on a lot of shows, including Suddenly Susan, 24, and Witchblade, another show that we've reviewed. You also might recognize him from such shows as NYPD Blue, Desperate Housewives, Men in Trees, Boston Legal, Raising the Bar. He played Calvin Chadwick in Agent Carter. His most recent project is a television series called Reacher, not out yet, but we'll keep an eye out for it. Father Salinas was played by Peter Woodward, 
such an elegant actor. In fact, his whole family are actors, so he gets it honest. I think I actually have his autograph from when he was in the show Crusade, a Babylon 5 project that I really loved. He played Galen, always a great actor to watch. He also played one of the big bads on the show Charmed. In recent years, he's been a voice for wacky races, Dick Dastardly. The blind priest, Father Horn, was played by Albert Hall, who's best known as playing Chief Phillips in the Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now from 1979. He's also been on Malcolm X, 24, The Young and the Restless, and Allie McBeal. Most recently, he's in the TV series Men of a Certain Age as Bruce. The late detective Charlie Hirsch is played by Michael Harney. He plays a lot of detectives and officers. I guess he just has that type of face. He even plays a detective on the show Weeds. You can see him on NYPD Blue, Law and & Order, and he also played Xander's father on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Most recently, you can see him on the show FBI Most Wanted as Ken Weldon, or on Doom Patrol as R.J. Steele. Looking forward to doing more Brimstone next time. Good night. We're back with Love, Bullets, and Blacktop on the Dead TV Podcast, the next episode of Reaper. Love, Bullets, and Blacktop, Season 1, Episode 7. Originally aired November 6, 2007. Sam, Sock, and Ben go after a thrill-seeking pair of escaped souls named Kit and Holly, who engineer car wrecks to keep their lustful relationship fresh. Meanwhile, the devil tries to set up Sam with a new girl named Taylor, whom Sam meets during a night on the town with his crew, which spurns a little jealousy in Andy. Now, I don't know this actress Taylor from anything. She's been in bit stuff like the Fantastic Four movie from 2005. She was Nightclub Girl, but she's clearly okay in life because she was just on 86 episodes of a continued, still running into 2022 TV series, which I will probably never watch, called When Calls the Heart. And she's been on for 86 episodes. Okay, it's about a young, young Elizabeth Thatcher. Okay. And she does not play uh, Elizabeth Thatcher. She plays Rosemary Coulter. Curtis Armstrong, I met at Rhode Island Comic Con. Um, most people know him as Booger from the Revenge of the Nerds movies, but as Supernatural oh, yeah. fans, he was—he's the Metatron. He's the voice of God. You know, Alan Rickman's character from Dogma. Yeah, yeah. He has done so much voiceover, especially in recent years. I recently heard him on Doom Patrol as the cockroach. Oh, I have he not caught up on Doom Patrol. I've seen like the first two episodes of the first season. And currently, uh, he's had a multi-year career going back to 2005, and 113 episodes of American Dad as Snot. Yes, one, of, one of the best friends of... Um, Steve. Steve, yes. Yep. The bride-to-be, I swear to God, I thought I recognized her in stuff. But yeah, she is Jubilee in the X-Men movies. The, the, the first actress to play Jubilee. Oh, okay. Yeah, the uh, sparkly fireworks shooting from her fingertips Asian mutant that would uh, pal around with uh, Wolverine. Very cool, very cool. Probably made more prominently well-known in the X-Men animated series from the 90s, which we've talked about, which is going to be coming back on Disney+. Plus. Nice. Yes, but she's the first live-action actor to play Jubilee. And, and Jubilee was important to X-Men fans because she, the X-Men were all kind of, at that point, you know, getting older, and she was like the new young teenage character for people like myself to associate themselves with. And at mm -hmm. one point, Jubilee actually also became a vampire because oh. she lost her powers due to M-Day, which is the um, No More Mutants spell that Scarlet Witch did. Yeah, those are our three kind of big actors besides 
from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the Addams Family movies, Mercedes McNabb, best known for playing Harmony, the uh, blonde, ditzy best friend of Cordelia who gets turned into a vampire at the end of season three and then starts dating Spike. And she was also one of the Girls Gone Wild video girls in the horror comedy movie Hatchet, if you've ever seen it. I have not seen that, but she was featured on the cover of Playboy magazine in November 2006. She was? And wow. Let me tell you, I did not recognize her for being the little Adams Family uh, girl that she was when mm-hmm. she started her career. Okay, if she's on the cover of Playboy, then that makes, to- for what year you said? 2006. Okay, that makes total sense because Hatchet came out in 2006, and she does go topless in Hatchet because she's a Girls Gone Wild video. She shakes her breasts at the camera. So that makes a lot of sense that she's on the cover of Playboy because she has a, I think, I'm not big on her filmography body of work in nudity, but that makes sense if that magazine, that she was on the cover of the magazine the same time the movie came out because she did do a nude scene. Yeah. And then she kind of disappears after doing Supernatural for an episode where she plays a vampire again, by the way, and uh, Reaper. She pretty much packed up and left Hollywood. Yeah, in 2011, her last credit, and that's because she retired from acting to be a mother. Yeah, I mean, she's got a pretty decent career. She was smart with her money, then she will be totally fine. Let me tell you, she looks fantastic in the Playboy pictures, 100%. Oh, amazing. She's posing with the, uh, she, there's pictures of her online in a gorgeous black dress, posing with the with the magazine. She's also, I think, the second actress from Buffy the Vampire Slayer to be in Playboy in 2004 the actress who played Cordelia Charisma Carpenter did a full four or five pages of nude photos in Playboy so I have to hunt down this issue the only issue of Playboy I own in my collection is the Charisma Carpenter issue which is signed by Charisma Carpenter by the way nice she said to me god my breasts look fantastic in this (laughs) (laughs) and she signed the cover and then she signed right over her her tips uh you know to Chris Thanks for the support. <laughs> so that was a bucket goal list of mine to meet Charisma Carpenter. But I definitely would love to meet Mercedes McNabb one day. Uh, she was at a convention. Unfortunately, I did not get a chance to meet her. So, uh, okay. Yeah. So moving on to the episode. So there, there's two escapes goals, Kit and Holly, and they're tied to this famous song from the 70s, which is on an 8-track player. Did you ever have an 8-track player or play 8-tracks? Because I got a bunch of 8-tracks behind me as I'm recording this in the recording studio of WCUW. I did not collect 8-tracks. I never had an 8-track player. I had a record player, a 45 player, but a whole kind of a technological generation of stuff I just missed. The 8-track player is a magnetic tape sound recording technology that was popular from the the mid-60s to the early 80s when the compact cassette tape, which predated the 8-track, took it over, which is true. I didn't know that you could buy 8-track players like the way Sam gets one in order to play the 8-track. I thought that was very funny. I think 8-tracks are becoming not popular again, but I highly recommend going on Netflix and finding the TV series currently out right now called Archive Archive 51 or Archive 8. It's about a guy who's hired by a rich guy to clean up a bunch of old high 8 video cassettes. And you see eight tracks, you see VHS, you see cassette players, and he has to take the eight, the uh, high eight cassettes apart in order to clean them up. And he finds out about this like really weird cult. And I'm only two episodes into the eight episodes, but it's really effing good. Highly recommend this show on Netflix. Okay, cool. Yeah, but I never own eight tracks, but they're sitting here right next to me while I'm recording with you. 
So the song for tonight on this episode is Radar Love, and I'm sure you're going to recognize it because it's one of the top ten of all-time driving songs, and it was produced by The Golden Earring in 1973. Here's a clip. I've been driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. I didn't realize they were a Dutch rock band. That's interesting. Yeah, their single was actually put out in the UK before it was released in the United States. Uh, and it was released in the United States in 1974. Okay, I'm not always 100% if Wikipedia is correct or not, but I'm assuming this part is. They were active from 1961 to 2021 last year? Really? They were around that long? I, just, I mean, I know the song, but I am not familiar with the band at all. You know? Sometimes you know more about the song than you do the band, but I was shocked to see that when we when I was researching the song. I was like, 19, 2021? Really? I mean, it's not unheard of. The Rolling Stones do stuff once in a while, and you know, every once in a while there's a resurgence of Black Sabbath, but let's face it, those bands are pretty much kind of done. Well, the Golden Earring did put out 41 studio albums. Oh, so okay. It's just the latest ones have been just more like compilations of hits and whatnot. But that Radar Love song was also on Wayne's World 2 in 1993 and Baby Driver in 2017. So other than Radar Love by Golden Earring, we hear Horny Pony by Spectrum. And that's what Sock is dancing to at the beginning. The 1969 Dodge Charger Daytona is a big old muscle car that I don't know anything about because I'm not a muscle car guy. (laughs) (laughs) Neither am I. I don't have any information on the cars themselves. It can go to 180 miles per hour. Okay. That's fast. (laughs) My car can't go to 180 miles an hour. Now, do you know someone like Russ in your own life where he's kind of smarmy? Oh, he's a jackass and he's disgusting? Yes. Okay, who is your Russ in your life? This I don't want to say, uh, but there is oh, somebody okay. I I'm uh, I I do uh, I just say I, I work with them. I won't say where, but okay. yeah, I do have that kind of person. Then it makes my skin crawl sometimes. Now I have known a lot of Russes over my lifespan. You know, being in the industry that I am, you know, you, you talk to a lot of smarmy people. Russ is interesting because I have a person in my life that. I wouldn't say is like Russ, but if you took away the drive for retro cars, kept it for retro audiovisual equipment, and took away the drugs, I would have a friend that, that's exactly like that. You know, it's invites you over to your house, and then you end up staying there all day, just talking, talking. They describe Russ in this episode like 
a raccoon. You don't feed the raccoon or else the raccoon will just keep hanging around. That's kind of like one of my friends. And it, it, this episode was just hilarious to watch. Hilarious. Yeah, all the drugs that they whipped out reminds me of a thing that happened in my life recently. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of drugs. You do all these drugs? <laughs> I, was... I have some information about those drugs. Oh, do you now? <laughs> I do. Okay, because, you know, I, this is information that I have. Okay, so he lists off several things. First, the peyote. You know, rip some peyote. Wait, what's Before peyote? Peyote is, of course, cacti plant. You know, we, we've all been familiar with the term peyote. It's a hallucinogen. I don't know, in fact, if it would be a good platform to do other drugs from because I have never actually done peyote. Next, it's angel tears. Angel tears is known as an LSD combination, or it can be referring to the trumpet plant, the angel's trumpet plant called Brugmansia suavolens. And it causes euphoria and hallucinations. Now, that, dr- that plant is actually pretty dangerous because it's also considered a poison. It's similar in nature to detura, so kind of dangerous in large quantities. It can kill you. It's very dangerous. The next one on the list, horse tranquilizers. Well, we all know what horse tranquilizers are, but in this case, he's probably referring to ketamine. Ketamine is a disassociative drug, can cause auditory or visual hallucinations, you disassociate from your body. So if you do a lot of it, you can get yourself into what's known as a K-hole, where you are completely disconnected from your body, yet you may or may not realize the things that are going on around you, but you can't really do much about it. Next thing on the list is jelly babies. Jelly babies could refer to a candy in the UK um, by the same name, but the drug version is kind of like a cannabis edible. It's a South African drug which combines daga, which is a cannabis extract, with pseudoephedrine. And so it's like this gummy edible, but it gives you that cannabis high feeling with the pseudoephedrine, which would be a a kind of a speedy effect. Next on the list is muskies. Now, this is interesting because I thought that he was just bullshitting up and making these names up for no reason. Muskie relates to a Hunter S. Thompson article about Democratic candidate Edmund Muskie and the drug that Hunter S. Thompson accused him of abusing is Ibogaine. Ibogaine is from the Apocnisiae family, probably pronouncing that wrong, and it's a psychoactive compound. uh, It's called Iboja alkaloids, and it's similar to peyote in some of the effects found from plants in the Amazon, and when mixed by tribal elders and applied directly to the eyeballs, it supposedly enhances your vision, and it could last weeks, perhaps even months. But again, it's dangerous in large quantities. The next things on the list are happy flakes, which I would just consider cocaine. Then poppers. Guy's into a lot of drugs on that show. <laughs> he is, he is. Poppers. Those are an inhaled drug of nitrates, or more specifically, amyl nitrate. It causes dizziness, euphoria, and a relaxing of the muscles. A good portion of the gay community has had experience with poppers. Back in 2007, there was a a national survey that said about 35% of gay men have tried it over their life. Mm. So, in fact, fact, Russ is offering them peyote, which is a hallucinogen, angel trumpet, or detour, which is another hallucinogen, 
ketamine, which is a disassociative hallucinogen, cannabis edibles with a speedy kick, ibogaine, which is another hallucinogen, cocaine, and poppers uh, to relax muscles. So if Russ wanted to take advantage of them, he has all the tools at his disposal to basically drug them up, get them to not for, not remember anything, and the poppers relax the muscles so he would be able to have his way with them. But none of them take him up on the offer. No, uh, he gets hit by a car by Holly before uh, any drugs can be uh, you know introduced. It's just funny that she comes barreling into the uh, the house like the way she does, just to get the wrong eight track to bring back her boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, and Russ is hit dead on by that car. I was for sure that he was going to expire in this episode. The, uh, the last thing he says is, flush the drugs. Tail- yes, flush the drugs. Uh, Always good advice. Okay, so I'm not crazy. Holly is the name of Mercedes McNabb's character. Taylor is the other one, right? Taylor is the secondary love interest. Okay, yeah, and then Tammy Gills plays the Holly actress in the movie they watch because they have to watch this old Betamax movie, which is why they need to hang out with their, you know, uncomfortable coworker. Tammy Gills plays the actress within the movie of the episode that they're watching that they need the Betamax player for. I didn't quite understand what Betamax was when I was a kid. You know, I thought it was the same thing as VHS, but I was told repeatedly it's not going to work in a VCR. But she's currently on a TV series called Siren. Plays a deputy, or if she was, it was ran for two seasons. I guess Siren is about like the way mermaids are supposed to be, kind of like killing creatures, not like super sexy Ariel in the Little Mermaid. Yeah, yeah, they're they're killers. Yeah, but uh, I think Sam's an idiot for passing up on Taylor. Taylor does seem like she's pretty balanced, at least, you know, what we see of her. And this is the only episode she's in. So, unfortunately, we can't really see that love grow. Yeah, it just, I mean, he he starts making out with her at the end of the episode and rushes her into the broom closet to obviously fuck her and then stops because obviously Andy is on his brain all the time. Yeah. He wants yeah. the good girl next door, not the bad girl with the tattoos who gets drunk at a bar's. I believe that he really likes Andy, and so... I know, he's in love with he's in love with Andy. He does not really like Andy. He is clearly in love with Andy, that he will keep putting her ahead of other women. The song at the very end of the episode, where the devil seems very introspective, and, you know, he sits alone at the bar, and he purposely puts on this song, and that is, I Wonder, by Brenda Lee. And it's so soulful to end the episode with. My heart is aching And I'm a fool I'm a fool So let it go on breaking Maybe I'll awake and find that I'm mistaken But I wonder Yeah, seems like uh, the Sam hit a nerve with the devil, and the devil has feelings too. Oh, boo-hoo, you're the devil. <laughs> <laughs> it's also funny, earlier in the episode, the devil has Sam meet him at like a church, and the devil says something about uh, me and the big guy have an understanding. Which I guess, yeah. in, in a lot of context, and I, I'm pretty sure this is in the Bible itself too, the devil is the son of God. Like, angels are the son of God. Sons of God. Not just Jesus. Because they are created by God. Yes. It's just, usually when you think of the Son of God, you think of Jesus Christ. But the devil 
the archangels, Raphael, Michael, all the archangels, all the angels themselves are sons of gods. We are supposedly supposed to be the sons and daughters of gods as well, of God as well, because God created us in his image. It's it's just funny that on this show that they don't refer to the devil as the son of God, but again, at the time the show was coming out in 2007, Supernatural was a year away from entering into the judo-christian kind of mythology that would take over the entire length of the show from beginning to end. Mhm. So that might have been something that, because they were, by the way, both shows were being filmed, the same area, same studios, same crossover, you know, bit players and, and, and production crews. So I'm wondering if they were worried that possibly the show was going to start interfering with their bigger hit, which was su- Supernatural. Maybe that's one know. of the reasons why it led to cancellation. Can't have two shows with the devil running around on it. I have no idea. Yeah, I'm wondering. I mean, we're we're many years away from having all the same shows on the CW, which would which when I say that, I'm talking about like the Arrowverse shows, you know what I mean? Angel was canceled because they were going to do a Dark Shadows revival, and they didn't want like more than one vampire show on the CW. But now what do we have? We have what? Five superhero shows running at the same time? I yeah. mean, Smallville tried to do another couple superhero shows, but they didn't work out. Burns of Prey and Aquaman were supposed to have a, their own show. But I'm wondering if that's one of the reasons why Reaper got canceled. Because there's no reason why the show should have gotten canceled. The show is, oh. is, is solid from beginning to end. These two episodes are amazing. Right. And we will get more into why the show was canceled as we continue to go on. That's all the notes I have for this episode. We'll be back in a couple weeks with another great couple of episodes of Reaper. It's nice is that this show is also very short with its seasons. We're not dealing with 25 episodes a season. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that is a blessing. Before we go, I also want to mention the episode was directed by James Head, who worked on R.L. Stein's The Haunting, and he was the director of several television episodes of that and something called Spooksville, Kyle XY, multiple episodes of Reaper, and 20 episodes of The Dead Zone. Well, I hope all of our listeners liked my mini-review of Brimstone. I will be continuing that every episode. And you can find us on Facebook at The Dead TV Podcast. If there's a Reaper group out there, please send us a link to it, because I'm not finding one. All I keep finding whenever I Google on Facebook Reaper groups is basically about the Grim Reaper or about motorcycles. Nothing to do with this show. So even looked up Reaper TV. So if there's a Reaper group out there that would be, that would be cool to have the episodes posted in, please let us know. There's not even a Reaper Reddit. We're not going to start one. We don't stay on these shows long enough to want to continue managing those things. Because someone said, why don't you start a... Uh, uh, what was the last show we just did? Uh, War of the Worlds group. And I'm like, well, there's already two on there. I don't need to start a third one. <laughs> War of the Worlds is very niche. It doesn't need a third group on Facebook. But it would be awesome if there was a Reaper group, because there was a Sam Keith, Max, dedicated group, which was nice. If you also want to find us on Twitter, it's Christy SAV and at Elegantly Kiki. And check out Brimstone, wherever you can find it. I don't know where it's streaming, so listen to Mr. Seneca's reviews of it. But I don't know where Brimstone is streaming. But Reaper is available on Aftermarket DVD, or again, it is on ABC.com. Good night. Good night.